informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. driving Tony Curtis, vivacious Piper Laurie, and daredevil Don Taylor in Johnny Dark, reckless and thrilling in color by Technicolor. I'm just asking for a reason, that's all. Is there something wrong with the car? Let's say you didn't have the age or experience for the job. You can tell Scotty I quit. This is the story of a boy, Johnny Dark, who challenged the future, the friend he fought, the girl they both loved. The grueling, nerve-wracking competition they faced in the field of sport car building and racing. A Canada to Mexico three-day road race through forests, over mountains and deserts, bringing you thrill upon thrill as death rides with every driver. And suppose you do lose the race. Who cares? I care! Dark must be doing 150. Straight away, Johnny, take him! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, sports fans. Peter Brock here from BRE Racing and Aerovault Trailers. Listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the best automobile show in the Southeast. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run new computers and Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, CallStreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioCars.com, where this is our 700th show. I just want everybody to know that. 700. We've got a very exciting show for you tonight. We've got a great guest. We're going to be talking about classic and antiques. No, no, no. That's next week. We're going to be talking about car designers, and I have a very special guest tonight, and he's got some interest. We've always done, you know, some Ford guys, and we've had, I think, a GM guy or two on. We're going to venture over to Chrysler and see what they had going on back in the 50s. So stick around. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Tune in.
Okay, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is also a former car designer. In fact, he has the distinction of being the youngest car designer and stylist ever to be hired by Virgil Exner. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Gordon Davis. Gordon, how are you this evening? I'm cool. How are you? Having a great day. It's a great day. Well, now you're in, uh, I envy you because you're in the Palm Springs area, and I used to go there as a kid all the time, and I, and I have fond memories of the of Palm Springs and the surrounding desert areas like Indigo and places like that. That's a great place when it's not, when it's not blowing. Okay. And today's forecast has been raining. It's kind of cool, uh, unlike the summer when it gets up to about 115 degrees. Yeah, but you know what? It's dry heat. It's dry heat. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you keep telling me. I like my humor. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gordon, why don't you give us a little history background on yourself? Kind of like uh, how your whole world came wound up with uh, at Chrysler and American Motors and, and beyond. How far back do you want to go? Oh, well, when you uh, were drawing cars, toy cars, or car. Okay, that, would, that would be when I was four years old. Okay. I drew, drew my first car probably when I was four years old. My mother had... Uh, uh, Kroger shopping bag, and I drew it on that. Still have it, by the way, little antenna on the back of it. But uh, yeah, I had no idea that. Uh, I mean, it's almost a cliche because my story is like so many other kids who were already drawing cars in the margins of their school books or whatever they were doing. And uh, I never knew that I was going to get beyond all that. And in fact, in high school, I thought I was going to be a journalist. Oh, I was still drawing cars, and uh, as a hobby, sort of. And uh, so, yeah, I. Uh, uh, graduated high school uh, in 53, and almost on the same day that a truce was declared in the Korean War, otherwise I would have been going in, and the fact that I was going to college uh, would have kept me out of the draft as well. But uh, yeah, uh, my friends were all, we were all meeting and telling, talking about where we're going to go, kids are going to U of M and State and so forth, and uh, they asked me where I was going, and at that moment, I had no idea, and uh, my high school each uh, English teacher sort of advised me, he said, oh, you're going to be a journalist, so the best place for you to go would be the University of Notre Dame. And I'd never thought about that, but uh, I applied, sent my trans high school transcripts over there, and they accepted me. Uh, my dad took me over there, and this would have been in 1953, around September, I guess. He dropped me off there, left me there. Uh, this was early before the classes started, so I was kind of wandering around with the football players and found a place to eat. And uh, I uh, nothing other to do, so I started drawing more cars in my in my dorm room uh, on Notre Dame stationery, drawing and drawing, and I'd tape them on the dorm walls. And I, I could have plastered the place, I guess, with my sketches on the dorm walls. And this would have been about November. It was cold, it was winter, snowing, the wind was blowing. I was in my dorm room typing in my short stories, and a knock came at the door. And I thought I must have done something wrong. That's probably the prefect of discipline coming to punish me for something that I had done or not done. So I opened the door, and here are these two guys. They look like gangsters. They're wearing black overcoats, black fedoras. And the shorter one said, uh, are you Gordon Davis? And I said, yes, I am. And he introduced himself. He said, I'm Bob Burke, and I am the director of styling at Studebaker. And this is Bob Andrews, and he's with me. He's also with me at Studebaker. And we've heard that you've been drawing cars, and we'd kind of like to come in and see what you've done. So I said, fine, I'm happy to have you come in. So they did. And they probably spent half an hour maybe with me, not talking much, just conferring with each other, looking at all the stuff I'd pasted up on the walls. And uh, before they left, uh, Bob Burke said, uh, have you ever heard of a place in Los Angeles, California, called the Art Center? I said, absolutely not. No. I mean, what is it? What do they do? He said, well, uh, they teach uh, photography, and they teach illustration and fine art, but what would interest you would be that they have a program there uh, called industrial design, but it's also car styling, car design. And I thought, well, you know, L.A. sounds a whole lot better than Elkhart, Indiana in the middle of winter, and I'm not really happy here in Notre Dame anyway. I, I'm, I'd be very interested in talking to these, these people. And so Bob said, well, gather up maybe a dozen of your sketches here, and... Uh, I'll give you an address, put them in a manila envelope, get them off in the mail. I did that. forgot all about it. I went about my studies and my short stories. I was a stellar student in the, in the uh, uh, creative writing uh, classes. I wasn't getting A's. I was getting sopranos. I thought, well, this is, this is really great. I mean, I guess I will be a 
journalist after all. A couple of weeks later, I get a letter in the mail, and it was from Art Center School. And uh, they wanted me to start. They were admitting me based on my sketches. So I called my dad, and I said, uh, come and get me, Dad. We're leaving Indiana. I'm going to L.A. And uh, Dad said, I explained what was going on. He said, well, I'll support you in any way. So he came down and picked me up in his 52 Buick Riviera hardtop. Nice, nice. Buick Riviera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Back so, I mean, the car I was using in dating when I was in high school, fantastic car, white, white leather. Anyway, um, beside the point. So he came down to get me, took me back home up in Ludington, Michigan, which is where I was born and raised, and uh, got me ready, a um, suitcase to travel that I'd used at Notre Dame. Still had a big Notre Dame sticker on the, on the suitcase, by the way. And uh, got me down to Chicago, where I took the uh, uh, California uh, Southern Pacific Railroad and took it across the country to L.A., dropped me off there. I found my way to, uh, 50, uh, to uh, the Art Center School. And uh, at the school, we found out <coughs> I was meeting with a whole bunch of other kids that <coughs> were also being, up, uh, being uh, <coughs> excuse me, now we're being accepted <clears throat> and uh, made some friends very quickly. Uh, one of my best friends turned out to be Willie G. Davidson, who back then was called Bill Davidson. And uh, we were getting uh, information about where we could go to live while we were students because they had no dormitories. And uh, I found a place just off of Wilshire and uh, uh, Wilshire and uh, Western Avenue. I got a room there, a bedroom, and that was it. And with no car... Uh, in L.A., you've got to have a car. But I was using a friend who was in, also in, in that same house who was about to leave the Art Center School, so it was depending on him to get me to school and back. And uh, a bus back and forth up Western Avenue to 5353 West 3rd Street and uh, hitchhiking. So I had to call my dad. I said, look, I, I was, I'm depending on friends and so forth, and buses and public transportation. i got to have a car out here. They said, well, you know, this is appropriate, I guess, lucky for you, because uh, there's a Studebaker dealer in town who's going out of business, and he's got a demo that he's willing to sell. That demo was a 1954 Studebaker Sunliner hardtop. Oh, and, uh, nice car. Nice car, yeah. Beautiful car. Almost no miles on it. And uh, so I uh, got on a plane and flew back to Chicago. Got another plane to Muskegon. My dad came down to get me, took me back to Lainton, and there was my car waiting for me in the driveway. I think I spent a night because I had to get back to school. And uh, next morning, loaded up the car, got my American Express traveler's checks, <laughs> my suitcase, and uh, I went to the AAA office, got the map that took me all the way from uh, Chicago to L.A. on Route 66. There was a song about that song. About that road, and so yeah, I made it. I think I made it in two days. Uh, stayed overnight in some of these rusty places, rattlesnake farms, those sorts of things. All that. What's <laughs> about 66 of the desert? You know, I knew that I was going back. Almost felt like I was going home. And I finally got down there and uh, got settled in. And Willie G and I decided to, we we're going to go to the, together and rent. And we did. We rented a rusting old Quonset hut out in the Chavez Ravine. And uh, it was an incredible, incredible place, but uh, that's where we uh, finally stayed. And uh, we committed to Mike Studebaker, and by then Willie G. had a uh, 1950 Ford Coupe. And uh, I was one weekend I was heading up into West Hollywood because I had an invitation from a friend uh, who was having a cocktail party. So I was heading up on the Golden State Freeway, I think it was, not paying a whole lot of attention. And the traffic started to slow and stop in front of me. And I put the nose of that Studebaker under the bumper of the car in front of me. Oh, my God. So I uh, was able to drive the car. I continued to, go up to, uh, continued to go up there to go to that cocktail party. Stayed there because the car was fine. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't even losing any coolant out of the radiator. But, uh, yeah, that's why I spent some time there. And I finally drove back and got back out to the Chavez Ravine. And the Quonset and Willie G was there. And I said... Well, I've had an accident, you know, kind of minor, but still kind of knocked in the front of the car. Grill's gone, bumper's shot. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to have to get this thing repaired. And uh, my uh, my uh, uh, AAA insurance would cover the repairs. But as William G. and I started to talk, I said, you know what? This might be an opportunity for me to do some customizing on this studio. 
And well, you know, well, that's a great idea, of course. So uh, we found I found my way uh, down into Burbank, California, in Valley Custom. And to this day, I still think that Valley Custom is probably better than than Barris. So I drove up there and I showed these guys what I had done to the car. And then we started to consult because I think this would be a good chance for me to kind of express my design kind of ideas and customize the Studebaker. Well, of course, they were all for that idea. And they left the car with them. And we talked first, of course, what I thought they ought to do. You know, French the headlights, take some of his chrome off, uh, put a dual exhaust on this thing, waker pipes under the rocker panels. Uh, it works. Lower it, the whole works. And I want it painted. Eldorado silver, metallic silver, and that uh, I, let's use the Eldorado bronze metallic to outline the cove between the front fender and the front door. So they do all those things. And they went back and uh, found out that uh, my AAA insurance would pay for some of it, but certainly not for the customizing. So what I did was spend my tuition money on that customizing. Damn, that car looked good. I was driving it around L.A. one day, shortly thereafter, and a guy pulled me over. He said, uh, my name is Lynn Wineland. I'm with uh, Rod, and, Rod and Custom Magazine. Can I take some pictures of an article on your car? I said, yeah, by all means. So we found a place. I think it was in front of a dentist office. Knocked on the door to get permission. And this young gal came out in a bathing suit, and we told her what we wanted to do. And uh, Lynn said, uh, gee, would you, can, would you pose on this car for would you pose on this car for me? And she did. She sat on the fender. We took all these pictures. And it was uh, that magazine, Rod and Custom, with my article and my pictures of my car came out. I think it was November of that year. And uh, I was very proud of it. And anyway, I, that's what I had, and that's how I got that car. But uh, at Notre Dame, I'm sorry, at, at Art Center, um, I was uh, faced with the problem of uh, not having my tuition money. And so I thought, oh, well, I'm going to have to break the news to my dad. So I called him, and I told him what I had done, and that I had spent the tuition money on the Studebaker. And he said, well, uh, Gordon, I think, you know, your younger brother is now at uh, Miami and Ohio University. Your sister's about to go into Wake Forest in Illinois. So I've already got two kids in college. So I think maybe he ought to get a job. So, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but what am I going to do? I mean, you know, do what? I haven't really known. Well, wait a minute. Bob Burke, that's Studebaker, liked my stuff. Why don't I go to South Bend, drive to South Bend, Indiana, and see if you'll hire me? So I said my goodbyes to my friends at uh, our center school. McMahon was kind of unhappy with me. He said, you don't know what you're doing. You should stay. And uh, Carla Martell, of the uh, register, I think she was at the time, gave me a nice uh, alumnus card, number 264, so I was an official alumni. And they said, you come back, come back, come back. I said, well, I definitely will. I just need to get enough money to repay that tuition. I'll be back. So I drove, got my stuff, my art center portfolio in the car, and drove back Route 66 to South Bend, Indiana. I pulled up in front of Studebaker headquarters, and somewhere in there that they had the design department. So I asked Bob Burke, and he came out, and he remembered me from Notre Dame, and he said, uh, What's going on? I said, well, I had to leave Art Center for the following reasons. I, got, I spent the tuition money, and I need a job. And he said, well, Gordon, and he saw the car. He said, gee, this is fantastic what you've done with the car. But he said, we're not hiring. I mean, Studebaker is really not doing particularly well in the marketplace right now. So we're not hiring. I'd like to, but I can't. But I do know who is. I said, great. Who? Well, that would be Virgil Exner up in Highland Park, Chrysler I guess I'd heard about Virgil Exner, but really beyond just knowing who was head of the standing department. So he said, I'll call him and set up an interview with you. And he did. And so he told, turned to me and he said, um, head on up to Highland Park, go to Chrysler headquarters, tell them who you are, and they'll, first election, we'll see you. So I got back in the car and I headed up back across the state line up into Michigan, went into Highland, to Detroit, Highland Park, into the lobby with my portfolio, and I, I told them who I was, and I was there to see Mr. Rexner. And I waited. I was told to wait, and I waited. I did. I waited for a while, and uh, I was greeted finally by uh, not Mr. Exner, not by Mr. Exner at all, but it was by Homer Lagasse. And I didn't know, didn't know who he was, but uh, he had been a star at uh, General Motors, 
he'd gone over to Chrysler, and he was the studio head for Dodge. So he introduced himself. We went into a little room off the main lobby where grant, uh, vendors uh, meet with the uh, designers and engineers and so forth, and opened up my portfolio there. And he went through it, and he liked what I had done. And then I sort of a second thought, Can, would you come out to the visitor's parking because I kind of like to show you my Studebaker. He said, yeah, sure, let's go. So we went out there. And Homer, he thought that Studebaker really looked great, and that sun's shining, you know, the silver paint, the whole thing was going on. So he said, Dexter's got to see this. So we went back into the lobby and uh, waited for a little bit, and then he went up, came back with Mr. Exner. I think he was, I think, I think that Homer was there just to make sure that I was who I said I was, not some goof off, you know, just coming in off the street. So Exner took a look at my stuff, and he nodded, you know. He wasn't very talkative, but and when he never really was, but he looked at it, and then Horman said, "You got to see this guy Studebaker." So he came back out, and Exner, he's always smoking a cigarette, a chain smoker, so I'm smoking a cigarette, looking at my car inside and out. I fired it up for him. Had <laughs> these these uh, Hollywood mufflers on that car too. So he smiled, and uh, Exner designed that Studebaker in 1948, and uh, I didn't know that until years later. But uh, he said, uh, "When can you start?" I said, "Well." I can start right now. He said, no. He said, but why don't you, uh, can you come back Monday? And I said, well, yeah, I can. So we made a deal, and uh, he uh, went back upstairs, and I went out to the lot and got my car and headed back to Ludington. Got there and told my dad, my folks, I just got a job offer from Chrysler Standing. Really? He said, yeah, yeah, I got to start Monday. Well, the clothes I had, a one-sport jacket, had a pair of wash pants, I had a shirt, a couple of ties, that's all I had. Or shoes, of course. So we went to a men's shopping, men's store in Lennington. We bought some couple of shirts and another pair of wash pants and some neckties. And that's all I had. So I drove back to to uh, uh, Detroit Highland Park early the next day. In fact, I think it went Sunday night. And I got a room at the uh, at the um, men's YMCA uh, in uh, Highland Park. And that's where I stayed. And that's where I met John Pinko, who was also with Crisis Standing. So. Monday morning, we all convened there, and uh, I was given uh, my assignment. I was told I was going to be studying in the, in the advanced styling studio, which Maury Baldwin was running. And John John Pinko was also up there. But when I joined the uh, the advanced styling group, there were only three of us there, only three designers and a couple of clay modelers. That was it. Uh, and I just given I was given a here's your drawing board, and I had my toolbox from Ann Arbor, you know, the little green metal tool toolbox with all my tools and sweeps and so forth. And I was just given that drawing board, and they said, go have at it. You go for it. I had no idea what I was going to look like. So I started drawing like rocket light daylights floating in space. I had no idea what was going to go on. So noon came around. I, would, I just I wouldn't get up. It was, and so Maurice said to Johnny, he said, do you think this guy eats lunch? <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about lunch. So, but yeah, so we went some, had lunch someplace. But I didn't stay in advance studying very long. I think maybe a couple of, a few months, I guess. And then I was assigned to the crisis studio and uh, got in there. And uh, then I knew I was supposed to start drawing cars. And uh, so I was drawing some proposals of various kinds and uh, met uh, uh, several people that would be friends for a long, long, long time, uh, getting ahead of myself a little bit. But uh, Well, here, let me ask you a question or two. Okay, so advanced styling, um, define for me as well and our listeners what exactly – advanced styling is compared to let's say like when you went to Chrysler something was that where a lot of experimental stuff was done yeah pretty much I think uh, we were uh, for Maury Baldwin who was uh, running the, uh, the the studio had uh, been with Chrysler for quite a while and in fact he was with Nexter when Exner joined uh, Chrysler in 49 from Studebaker he uh, uh, he, he was uh, designing very much uh, Important for uh, the design of the of the Falcon, the 1960 Falcon with Exner, and Maury also did a lot of the work on the 55 uh, Chrysler line. Very much uh, a, a part of that whole program. But yeah, um, we didn't do any you know the rocket ship stuff. I, I think that whole styling approach back in the late 40s, you saw a lot of the uh, rocket ship stuff, car you know, proposals, no wheels on them. Uh, but that was over by the time I got there in the 50s. So it was very sort of down to earth stuff. And uh, at that time, of course, this is the era of uh, the uh, Ford look. So stuff with fins was beginning, and uh, but really not until 1956 when the car when the cars just started to get fins in them. 57 was really the biggest year for the beginning of the fins. So that was there from the uh, forward look era to ultimately the Mopar area. But yeah, um, when you use the term. F- 
uh, forward look, and they, they tried to bring that back a number of years ago, but explain to me and our listeners what exactly forward look design means. What does that mean? I think it was more of an advertising approach than it was a land approach. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, they needed something, some kind of a name to hang, hang on that. Tin, tin, fins that were coming along the road. Okay, so forward so, look, th- meaning future, is what forward actually means. Forward I think look, that's future look. Right, okay, yeah. I gotcha. So then, all right. So on your website, for example, you've got this really cool futuristic car that you drove, that you drew, um, the one with the gull wings and everything like that. When did that? When did you draw that? And was that when you were at Chrysler Styling, or was that when you were in the uh, special design or the special? Design? No, that, that was Chrysler Styling, okay. and that would have been. I, I finished that illustration on April of nineteen fifty-seven. And uh, when it was done, and I don't, not, I don't really know what prompted me to do that, but I think, uh, you know, where do you kind of go with the fins, and where do you kind of want to go beyond like 1957? So my proposal with that car was for something that would be on the road in 1960. So when I was finished with it, I hung it up on the wall over my drawing board. Kind of forgot about it when doing drawing other stuff. And uh, Exner, of course, was a very shy guy. He didn't see a whole lot of him, and he had a private. Uh, secret sort of a design studio of his own and uh, he was in there most of the time drawing cars himself and uh, his number two guy Cliff Voss was the guy who really went through the studios and uh, looking at what everything what was being done and uh, one day he came to the uh, well crisis studio he was in there three or four times every day and he saw my forward look thing which I call the forward look concept and on the wall and he went over and looked at it and he said, I'm going to take this and show it to Mr. Exner. So I think, you know, how the paint was how he dry that thing, and he took it. And it was, I had not seen it for like a, maybe a week, 10 days or something, I guess, like that. And he brought it back and put it back on the wall, and he said, Mr. Exner liked it. And that's all I heard about that. And went about my work, and then I was transferred from Chrysler over to the DeSoto studio. And at that time, uh, Vince Geraci, who was another designer, he was there in the crisis studio with me, and he was also moved over to DeSoto with me. And uh, we were uh, uh, still doing the basically the same kinds of thing because both cars uh, shared the same sheet metal. Uh, the trim was different. And uh, one of the guys in there was John Sampson, who was with Chrysler for quite a long time. He'd come from Ford, and uh, and uh, he had done the uh, he'd done the Thunderbird, I think. And uh, we had uh, uh, basically we were doing uh, trim stuff because the sheet metal had already been determined. But uh, while I was there, and before actually, before when I was still uh, in Chrysler Studio, 1956, for some reason we designers, we stylists, if you will, we went a lot across the hall and into the studios where the full-size clays were being developed. I don't know why that was like that, why that was uh, the law, why that was the, the... the protocol there, but that was the case. And uh, taking, I'm thinking really going back now when I started off with Chrysler in 1955. Uh, my first day with Advanced Standing, Maury Baldwin took me uh, down the hall into where our showroom was, and there was an armed guard standing in the door in front of that showroom. And he let us in there, and what was in there was a 1957 Plymouth hardtop. This is 1955, and I, my jaw dropped. I thought, "What and how? What is this?" And and it was explained that this was a, a, a manufacturing prototype. They wanted to make sure that the dies all worked and the stampings were good. So here this thing was under a spot under a little flood, floodlight, and that's why that guard was there because he wanted to only allow people who were authorized to get in there. And uh, that was my first sight of what a 1957 card would look like. That black 1957 hard time. So yeah, uh, when I was in the Soto Studio, uh, we were mostly mostly doing trim and th- those kinds of things. But uh, uh, when uh, I was still with with the, uh, I'm really balling this thing up. When I was at the Chrysler Studio, uh, I was taken across the hall and into one of the uh, Quay, uh, full Quay Studios. And uh, Mr. Eckner was in there, and he was sitting on a little four-legged stool, smoking a cigarette, legs crossed. And he was watching uh, one of my designs being transferred into full-size clay. He just kind of nodded, didn't say anything, smoking a cigarette, didn't say a word. But uh, it was a kind of an eye-opening experience for me because I finally got to see what it looked like to have a full-size clay be made. So back to the DeSoto studio. At that time, you know, 57, 58, 
we kind of knew then that uh, the days for DeSoto were kind of numbered, and uh, a little concerned about that, very concerned about that, because uh, DeSoto, uh, in a couple of years, they were just discontinued as a brand. But uh, we uh, were uh, uh, still, uh, at that time, in fact, even earlier, the trend uh, at Chrysler Stallion was to what happens after the fins, because we were getting to almost that cartoonish-looking stuff, and the really fins were getting like soaring out of, you know, they, they didn't look real almost. And uh, so our stuff was basically stuff that without fins. But it was along about that time uh, that uh, uh, when uh, the Chrysler Studio or the DeSoto Studio was was folding. In 1956, and I keep going back and forth between the times, the dates, and so forth, because these memories kind of coming back and come back. In 56, Virgil Exner uh, had a heart attack, and he was out of the picture. He was had open heart surgery, as I recall. And crisis management wanted to back Exner up in case he didn't come around or didn't come, didn't come back. I hired uh, Bill Schmidt. And Bill Schmidt, who had been the head of uh, uh, Lincoln Mercury styling at Ford, was the head of styling at Packard. So they brought, uh, they brought uh, Bill Schmidt over, and when Bill Schmidt came, he brought Dick Teague with him. He brought uh, uh, Fred, Hens- Fred uh, Hudson with him, and he brought Dick McAdam with him, those three guys. So actually, I wasn't around. And uh, I'm sure Schmidt just so he saw the opportunity to take over from from Exner. So he put Fred Hudson in charge of the Imperial Studio, and he put Dick Teague in charge of both Chrysler and DeSoto Studio. And uh, Dick McAdam, uh, he was put into the uh, Chrysler Studio with the rest of us and putting him put him on a drawing board like the rest of us. And one day we were designing uh, proposals for the grill of, of the uh, 59 DeSoto. And uh, we'd done my, I had done my sketch with a blue um, pen and the other guys, you know, they all used their, their pens, pencils to draw these. Dick McAdam came in the next morning and he had a, uh, he had a, a, a <laughs> he had one of these uh, 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 little he had taken a shoebox, okay, and it was, and he had uh, painted inside of it black. The outside was blue, was blue, and he had actual grill strips in there that he put foil on. It was like a, it was, it was unbelievable. We had no competition with with Dick. He was so good, and uh, it was one of these little, uh, what do you call those little, you know, I can't. I'm trying to think of it. Show. I was. I forget it anyway. It was an idea of what uh, a concept what, uh, or something like that, or a promotional thing. Uh, it was, uh, the, the, his presentation was like in a, one of these uh, uh, shadow box kind of thing. Okay, shadow box. Anyway, okay, got yeah, right. Yeah, kind of beside the point. Anyway, so yeah, uh, so Schmidt was running the show, and he had his guys in place, and uh, Cliff Foss, of course, who was still number two guy to Texner, he was running around trying to keep Texner's stuff current and Schmidt was influencing his idea of what everything should look like and it was pretty much a lot of mayhem that was going on there and uh, the politics in the background which we knew nothing about you know, and I was a kid on the drawing board I was just another ham and egger there sure. didn't know what was going on behind the scenes but when Exner finally came back uh, he made, made his presence known although he was still ill not doing very well so management decided they're going to have to do something with Schmidt and what they did was uh, to sign him to a six-month contract to compete with Exner's guys. And when Schmidt left, he pirated Dick Teague, he pirated John Pinko from Advanced Standing, and he took me, and he took one clay monitor. And he set up an independent studio in East Detroit. So we all, all went over there, and we started to do a full-size clay of one of our designs, and the three of us spent those six months uh, at Schmidt's behest, doing uh, you know what he wanted us to do, and it was an interesting period of time. However, he uh, uh, at the end of those six months, uh, we had were out of work at the same time, so we had to do something ourselves. And this would have been probably the end of 1959 or close to it. 
And I did some freelancing, uh, which I had to do. Um, I was doing design work for motorcycle accessories, car accessory maker uh, suppliers, those kinds of things. And Dick Teague, uh, he was footloose and fancy free, I guess. He was home working on his uh, classic Packard cars and so forth. And I don't know what John Pinker was doing. We kind of lost touch at that point. Maybe what I would do is apply for a job at General Motors. Why not? So I started doing GM-centric kinds of sketches, drawings of all sorts. And I had a, a drawing board at home. And so I was spending all my time there doing this, adding to my portfolio with all GM stuff. And one of the sketches that I had done uh, was what I thought a Corvette ought to look like. And, uh, okay, you know, okay. So... I had Big T, who had been a good friend with Chuck Jordan at GM, called Chuck Jordan, and he set up an interview for me. So on that point of day, and this would have been probably just after January of 1959, uh, early, early into the next month, and made an appointment with Chuck Jordan, took my portfolio, got my Studebaker, and ran over there. And uh, we spent a long time, a lot of time together. Uh, Chuck Jordan liked my my stuff, my portfolio. He liked my GM-centric kinds of drawings. And he took me on a tour of the uh, styling department there. He took me into the uh, what I call the probationary studio, which all the new hires from Art Center and elsewhere uh, were doing their thing. And it sounded like a zoo. They were all making car noises, racing car noises with their voices. And I thought that was kind of juvenile. But uh, after that, uh, we went back outside, and Chuck Jordan got me into his new 59 Chrysler, or Chrysler, I'm a Chrysler in my mind, his Cadillac Eldorado convertible, and he took, so, took me for a long drive around the campus, and uh, and uh, basically, you know, I knew he wanted to hire me, so he said, can you, uh, would you leave your portfolio with me so I can show it to uh, Bill Mitchell? I said, absolutely, by all means, and he said, we'll get it back to you. So I left without my portfolio. And Chuck Jordan had it. And, of course, that meant that without a portfolio, I couldn't find work anywhere else, a job in styling anywhere else. It was probably a week to ten days later. It was evening. I was my my wife and my three kids. We were just having dinner. I had little baby kids. And Doc came on door, and uh, it was Chuck Jordan. He had my portfolio with me, with him. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he said, uh, Bill Mitchell liked what you got, but uh, his budget has been sort of ended because he, his new hires here, and uh, he won't be able to get a fresh budget until maybe six months or later. So can you wait that long? And I said, No, I can't. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I can't. How can I wait? I need I need a job now. And that's when I went over to American Motors and I applied for a job over there, and then I took a job over there. I want to talk about the Corvette. You've got it on your website and. Um, for our listeners, the uh, title of your we- your website is midcenturycarart.com, correct? That's correct, yeah. And there's a number of your drawings on it, but this one in particular is called the Pit 3. Now, I'm not a Corvette guy per se, but I'm very familiar with the C2 Corvettes, which is the mid-year Corvettes. And if I didn't know better, this drawing that you came out with in 59 looks very much like a C2 Corvette, 63 to 67. Besides the fenders and the silhouette of the car, probably the most striking thing, which is really bizarre, is the hubcaps. Those very much 63 hubcaps, if, you ever, if you're familiar with the car. So that was the first thing I happened to notice when I saw the car. Now, there's more to the story, but I'm going to go ahead and let you go on from there. I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the designs that you came up with. I, I wanted to go back to the 59 DeSoto. What exactly did you design on those cars? Was it some of the trim? Was it the grill? What was it specifically? It was mostly the trim. Uh, the uh, full-size clay that actually I've been looking at uh, had a crease along the uh, front of the front of the front of the car and a big kick up at the end of the fin. And uh, it was in the sheet metal. Well, that 59 DeSoto, the trim, was a kind of a variation on that theme. And I had done that trim, exterior trim. I did the nomenclature. Uh, I did some of the, uh, the gold eagle on the front bumper and a corn eagle on the back. I did that sort of thing. Uh, Vince Teresi, who had been there with, with me at the center, he did some of the uh, medallions. He was great doing the medallions. But that was about it because the sheet metal was already locked in. There's no nothing else to do with that. But, yeah, so those basically trim stuff is what I had on that uh, 59 DeSoto. Okay, so on an average, just so my listeners kind of get an idea, and myself, now, 
I was in the wrecking door business, so I'm you know parts guy for sure. But how long did it actually take you to design, uh, let's say that that trim, you know, and the hockey stick, so to speak, and then mm-hmm. get it approved to the point where it was accepted for production? Oh, probably less than a few days. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, were you guys yes. as designers? Were you continuously experimenting with different styles? I mean, you know, because you you got to kind of think about you know the layperson. Well, what did you do while you were in there? So it doesn't take that long to draw draw something. So if you draw for you know three four days, you did this, and then you know, so you 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 obviously had other tasks. So you were given tasks to draw other automotive components with to that to that vehicle as well, or did you just? I mean, how was your time spent? In other words. Well, basically, uh, since the sheet metal was locked in uh, for, you know, a couple, three years ahead, ahead of the same, uh, trim stuff, you know, somebody's got to design the rear view mirrors, and somebody's got to design the wheel covers and wheels, and somebody's got to design trim stuff, and pretty much the same in interior, although I didn't see much of the interior people. They were kind of in a different studio. But, yeah, uh, that would be it. And then between that, uh, you could, you know, Free reign, do what you want to do on the on the drawing board. You know, what, what's the car going to look like in a few years or a couple of months, whatever. You know, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, as far as small sketches, quick sketches, uh, you could probably get one or two a day and uh, keep on with doing that sort of thing. So it but, sounds uh, like it, it sounds like it was a pretty fun job. It was a fun job uh, for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was leaving our uh, center before I got my my degree. I was on a, what they call a fast-track program back then. I don't know if they still have it, but back then, if you spent two years there, uh, uninterrupted, uh, no summer vacation, no uh, uh, no breaks whatsoever, uh, you could uh, get your degree in eight more months. And I had, that, I had my two years in, virtually had my two years in. So my thinking was, okay, if I could get a job out there designing cars, either wherever, you know, Chrysler, enough money I could go back and finish to get my degree but then I, I'm thinking well here I am you know I'm getting paid to learn how to drive and the kids back at uh, at uh, our center they're, they're paying to be, learn how to drive so it's a whole kind of a switch around but uh, yeah so I'm thinking you know, why why would I go back anyway and of course then the, the uh, what really what happened to change my life totally was uh, uh, I got back together with my high school girlfriend and she was a senior, I mean, a sophomore. No, she would have been a sophomore at Western Michigan and uh, when I was uh, with uh, Chrysler. And uh, I thought, well, I've got a nice job with Chrysler, and uh, why don't we get married? So we got married. We got married. And after we got married, not long after we got married, the first kid was born. You know, so now I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a parent, I'm a fat father, so... There's no way I'm going to go back, and so I've got to stay here. And uh, but yeah, so that's how the drill went. Uh, keep on drawing, you know. And uh, that's what we did with Schmidt. That's so clear what we did with uh, American Motors. So, Not very exciting. But going back to that Corvette, it was just uh, there's no way to explain. I mean, you don't. I think you might have an idea of what you want to be developing when you sit down at the drawing board with a blank piece of paper, pencil. I didn't have an airbrush back in, when I was doing it at home or with it, with uh, Schmidt, but uh, yeah. So it just came flowing out the end of my pencil, I guess. Just uh, what do I thought a Corvette ought to look like, and uh, with nothing else to go on. And I finished that. That was probably about the last thing I had I had for my portfolio before I went back over to General Motors, so so that uh, Mitchell could see all my stuff. But. Yeah, I have no explanation for it. And I also did uh, a whole series of uh, what I thought that the GM line ought to look like from the uh, Chevy up to the Cadillac. And I did a series of drawings on that uh, with Prismacolor pencils. pencils they all the same color, you know, sort of red and ivory. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just it's hard to explain the, the creative process I get, not really knowing exactly what's going to turn out. But, that's what I thought a Corvette should look like. And I, I had finished that, um, I think it was January 29th of 1959. And I didn't realize how close I had come to really designing the actual Corvette until, I think, 64, when the, when the Stingray came out. And for me, back then, I, I thought a Stingray was a fish. And I had no idea what to call my. I, could, I called it, it looked like an SK, SSK Mercedes. That's what I kind of thought it looked like. 
and it, pit three would have been it was ready, ready to be raced in you know, some kind of a car race. But that's how everything turned out. And it wasn't until years later, many years later, that I knew who heard of a Peter, Pete Brock, Brock, who was probably in the art. He he was the youngest guy the GM ever hired at 19. But I was eight months older than Pete Brock, and we were probably at the art center school at the same time. But I didn't know who he was uh, at that time. But uh, I learned later that uh, it was probably 19 around, uh, I think probably around 1955 or something, when he drew uh, what the basis of the genesis of what that uh, stingray was going to look like. But would I have known across the town, you know, what he was doing, what I was doing? The odds of that would have been impossible. Interesting, interesting. Uh, um, one of the things, well, now, you know, I'm going to, I want to, it's, it's coincidental, but I wanted to also um, have you share with us your, that one drawing that you did that, that uh, Virgil Exner kind of borrowed, and then years later, the Exner appeared, and the correlation between that, your artwork, and that, that final, that final car. Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, I had no idea what he had done with it, obviously. I mean, he had it in his secret studio. And, but, yeah, and when it came back, I thought, well, okay, Clifford said he liked it and so forth. It wasn't until uh, 1960, and I was already at, Amer at uh, uh, yeah, American Motors, when I saw the uh, XNR, called the XNR, and I thought, my God, it, this looks like, my four-look concept that I had done in 1957. And that's, and that's how I knew, what, that's when I learned and knew what Exner had been doing with my drawing when he had it. He was using it as a sort of a, a car that influenced the Exner. Interesting, interesting. What was the other car that's on your website, the one with the twin grills? What's the story of that car again? Uh, the red car, I call that the red hemi. That was done in 1957, too. Uh -huh. It was one of those, you know, flights of fancy, you know, what do you want to do, you know, when there are no real constraints in terms of, you know, manufacturing issues, cost issues, legal issues. And so I just sat down and I started doing this for my portfolio. But I was uh, not thinking about my portfolio. I was just working for, in, the, in the Chrysler studio. And uh, I just kind of did, did it at a lark when I wasn't having to do, you know, designing wheel covers or wheels or trim or grills, those kinds of things. So they're kind of a chance, almost like a vacation, to really do something you really wanted to do that uh, didn't matter what it was, you know. So that was, that's how that all turned out to be. But, of course, the, back then for Chrysler, the Hemi engine, Hemi engine was really big, you know, it was world-known, world admired. And I thought, well, this car will be powered by um, Hemi something or other. Maybe that's why I named it the Red Hemi. Interesting. And that was in 1957. What about the uh, the twin fire fox, fire dome concept? What was the story on that? Oh, um, well, I was always a, an admirer of the P51 P51 Mustang. Right. So I thought, what if I do a car, you know, on the, with that theme in mind? So that's how that whole thing de developed. You know, the, the canopy looked like a P51, but a fin on the back uh, that. Uh, Maybe look more like a race car, I guess. Those kinds of ideas. Interesting. And uh, that influenced uh, what Chrysler would call the uh, uh, turbo flight. And they had done that in, I think, 1960. So I was ahead of that program by a couple of years, I guess. So that was one case where one of my sketches influenced a, a show car, like the XNR. You know, on the early, uh, and I'm not sure if it was the late 50s, but I know the early 60s, Chrysler had, like, swivel seats that swiveled out. Were you part of that design team? That was interior design, and that was in the in 1957. That's so, yeah, okay. yeah, the 50s, mid 50s. Out of all the cars that you've designed, Gordon, which which one which one are you most proud of? I mean, of, of, of the stuff during that era, what is what is something you're the most proud of? That would have been the Ford Look concept, I think. Really, the black one with the gull wings. Yeah, uh -huh. that's a beautiful car. Yeah, and I wouldn't have ever, I would not have been able to keep it. But uh, when uh, Schmidt got his contract, and Exner was still, you know, out recuperating, Schmidt allowed me to take that illustration and some other sketches with me, knowing that at some point I may want that for, for my portfolio. Otherwise, I would not have been able to keep it. 
And that's the, that's the problem because anything you develop, all your drawings, sketches, so forth, they belong to your employer. And if you try to get one out of there, uh, it was very unlikely that you were going to get permission to do so. And if you were to try to steal one, uh, you could be fired, of course. I've always wondered how so many of the GM guys and Ford guys, uh, with all their wonderful sketches and illustrations and proposals, were able to either keep them or allow to get them out of there. Or I don't know, but uh, we weren't anywhere I was. Uh, you could not do that. Did you, you just they, you know the they, employer would keep it. They either going to shred it, burn it, or just disappear someplace. Wow. And uh, I know a lot of my stuff that I did for Schmidt uh, stayed with him. And it wasn't until years later, after he had died, and there was, the Schmidt family had a yard sale. And some guy bought one of my sketches out of that yard sale, and he had posted it on, on the Facebook. Is where I saw it again, which kind of surprised me. So it made me wonder how many other sketches, not only mine, but of other guys who, you know, they kind of disappear. People either maybe steal them or buy them or whatever they're going to do, but they show up from, from time to time. Well, Gordon, uh, we're up against the clock here. I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us. If people want to find out more about you and your history, they go to your website, which is midcenturycars.com, right? Uh, that would be correct. All right. Well, Gordon, you know what? There's so much more to the story. I'd love to have you back on the show so we can talk a little bit about what it was like during that era, the late 50s and early 60s. It was kind of a mid-century era. I'd love to know what it was like, you know, you know, your working relationship with other designers, whether you intermingled with, uh, you know, the Ford guys, the GM guys, you know, the other Chrysler guys and some of the other designers around there, what the social scene was like, what the car scene was like. So really look forward to having you back on the show so we can discuss that a little bit. And some of the other projects that you worked on, would you be willing to do that for us? I sure would be more coherent the next time around. I want to thank my special guest, Gordon Davis, for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Gordon, it was a pleasure having you on the show this evening. Look forward to having you back on the show again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. Anyway. Robert, take care. All right, bye-bye. Okay, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, we got a real busy weekend. we got the NMRA at Gainesville Raceway this weekend, for all you Ford guys. Then we got the vintage races at Sebring this weekend. We've got uh, Work Reunion coming up here pretty soon, up in the Middle Island, and Moto Miami. So in the meantime... I want to see some of you guys at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. She gets high